Welcome to the Weekend Must Watch on Intercut, the weekly show going through the movies, TV, and everything that people just can't cut away from. More than Freddy's, because uh, there was less cutting. I think we do more cuttings in our intro than we do there. I'm your co-host, Arturo Surita, and joining me, he doesn't even want to spend one morning at Freddy's, it's Zachary Shevich. Yeah, uh, they're doing a lot more like pizza cutting than like horror cutting, I guess, in Five Nights at Freddy's, but we'll, we'll get into all that. You can get a Chuck E. Uh, Cheese pizza that looks worse than some of the people who got mangled in this movie, but it was one of the big ones. And Zach, you didn't have to leave your house. Yeah, thank God. I could just uh, kick back and relax and watch animatronic horror from the comfort of my my couch. Did you make the journey at the theaters? Because I heard it was uh, swarmed this week. I heard it was big. And, you know, there's yeah. some cameos in there from some big YouTubers, like massive YouTubers. And I heard that it was like uh, uh, to your left. It was like Endgame when everybody comes out to these people. They were going insane in there. So part of me is curious to, to, to see it in theaters. I was like 10 minutes away from my showing that I did have booked. I just couldn't go. It was raining yeah. outside a little bit. I'm like, I'm not going to make the trek to go to it. I, it's like, am I going to head out or should I just wait for it to be at home? I waited for it to be at home. And on my first watch, yeah, I was kind of happy. I did. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not like, I don't know, the most satisfying horror film experience that I've had. But I think it's also serving a specific purpose which uh maybe is not the same as a movie like exorcist or exorcist believer yeah there was no way i was gonna get zach with those trailers oh, <laughs> out God. of the out of his house to go see the body and the blood um but having made videos on both you know one had a lot of expectations where the other one i had no expectations for it yeah. right and one really disappointed me whereas the other one i just like i wanted to be enamored in it as a non-fan and i i think you and i are really big as movie fans where even if we're we have a bias towards something we know like we want something that can reach people who haven't played the games or haven't read the books or anything um i don't think either are the worst but they're definitely not the highlights that could have been for what a 50 year old franchise and one of the biggest biggest games to come out in the last 15 years. But um, other than that, Zach, how has your movie going? Been uh, Considering that we've now wrapped up our fall festivals, we are heading to the November season where we have some really big movies on the horizon, uh, like The Killer that we're going to be doing an after credits for. But anything else in your movie going world you don't life? Not not too much. Uh, Montclair Film Fest has also been wrapping up, so I, I went to catch a couple uh, screenings there as well. But, uh, you know, it's mostly just been slowing down. I think we, we both kind of need to catch our breaths a little bit right. after what, what's been a hectic past couple of months of movie watching. And what, what's nice is we've both got to the point where we've seen so many films that I feel like I'm, for the next couple months I've got stuff – I know so that I've already it. seen. We're, we're super ahead of the time. So yeah. uh, we'll have plenty of recommendations and stuff. But yeah, I just I, I just needed some sleep, to be honest. I don't know about you. You told me you uh, had a migraine coming in today. today. Yeah, Lena's still dealing with hers. I've been getting like five hours of sleep. I feel like I'm a security guard at Fred or Fred, Fred, Fred's place at the moment, not getting any sleep. But yeah. uh, no, I agree with you because you look at the schedule for November and it's like packed. Yeah. And being able to see a weekend that's got like, seven eight releases just in theaters mind you not even uh streaming and to know that we've already knocked out a couple of them mm -hmm. i think it's going to make uh, a lot of the upcoming intercuts a lot easier um and the best thing for the intercuties is that that already puts a lot of watch lists a lot of must watches a lot of picks that you can decipher uh if you want to catch over another one for this uh honestly full-on holiday season you know we got a uh, halloween literally tomorrow i was People gonna been say dressing up like crazy here um <laughs> 
I don't know if you've seen any uh, themed stuff, but I had some theaters that were like giving away things depending on you going in dressed up, which is weird because two weeks ago they didn't want friendship bracelets, but now right. you can go decked. That's cool. I, I didn't uh, see anything like that, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was looking for an excuse to get, uh, get dressed up or something, but I didn't have uh, a great one this year because there's Hawk? so many potential uh, Halloween costumes from the movies that we saw this year that I didn't get to try out. You see uh, the SNL special that they had on uh, the, the the sketch for um, Fran uh, this past weekend. They had Nate Brigetti, who I finally yeah. figured out how to say his last name. Uh, I think he's a really good comedian. He hosted, and they went at the bit about how you can dress up as A twenty four Elvis, but you can't dress up as Baz Luhrmann WB Elvis. Yep, um, that's the goofiest thing. We haven't even talked about that one, but yeah, uh, that's another thing that's kind of been in the horizon that some people claim that SAG may have struck a deal. Because when the writers struck the deal, that you they caught him celebrating, and it mm-hmm. wasn't until like a couple days later that they said it. Well, they caught him celebrating on Friday. I don't think we've seen any news. I'm sure the chat will let us know. Who? Uh, big shout out to the chat. I see Josh saying that he's seen 70 movies this month. Jeez. Damn. Yeah. Boy. But hey, if Put we're impressed, work. if we're impressed, shout out to that. He got those numbers up. <laughs> shout out that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty curious to see how the November and December season's gonna go. Um, because obviously with it being Oscar season, it's going to be a lot of campaigning. And you kind of need the people to campaign. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of an interesting question to ask yourself is, like, how much differently could this Oscar season go without the campaigning, right? Like, are certain movies that really rely on their movie stars, something like a May-December, which has Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman attached to it, are, are they right? – that one is Netflix, yeah, so they wouldn't get the deal. So does that does that movie have like less of a shot at getting into the best picture discussion if it doesn't have those big celebrities attached campaigning it? I don't know. We we might have to do a uh, look ahead to the Oscars and, and like uh, early predictions as well at at some point on a future weekend must watch because there's uh I was looking at Gold Derby's list of what the most likely nominees are and at this point I've seen basically all the. Uh, potential uh, Best Picture nominees that they've got listed here, including stuff like uh, Poor Things and Barbie, and, and I mean, not Barbie, Poor Things and Maestro and American Fiction and Zone of Interest that are all not out yet. The one and thing Zach's here that, to tell you right here that the winner's going to be... <laughs> uh, are, have you changed your opinion on Oppenheimer being kind of the movie of the year yet? Because I kind of think that's still set to set to be a juggernaut. Yeah, in terms of, like, you know, we know how to separate what we want as our favorite to what we think is, like, this should define the best picture for the Oscars, for movies. Right. Uh, yeah, I still think it's Oppenheimer. I, it it kind of feels like n- we've been waiting for Nolan to have a movie that would be kind of, like, embraced by the Academy and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, Killers has got a shot because people really love Scorsese, but... They'll split. I, yeah. I, think, I think they don't want to give it to Nolan, but they'll give it to his movie that speaks on a lot of other things and then give probably the second Oscar to uh, Scorsese, maybe. That's a theory that I have, so. Um, no, I, I'm down for that, dude. You put a list, you were, you were about to say, out of all the ones that you've seen, the one that you're missing is? Oh, uh, The Color Purple, which nobody's had a chance to see yeah, yet. That's still looming around the horizon. Can, can you think of one that's such a late fourth quarter throw? Because, you know, I'm comparing it, you know, it's based off of classics. That doesn't mean this one might be a classic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the, the Whitney movie from a couple years ago also did that late Christmas release. It didn't yeah. let anybody see it. I mean, that didn't end up making a splash. Like, is it ever 
a late quarter surprise. It kind of seems more and more rare that these movies they put around put out around the holidays end up in the Oscars discussion because with all the precursor awards and yeah. all the like prognosticating, people Fast. like to kind of like set the field early. So I'm a bit surprised that they haven't, you know, at least put this movie into like AFI Fest or something like mm-hmm. that, where it can get a big film True. festival premiere and let it start get building that buzz. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that's going to be one to probably worry about. I think you're right. Everything's already out. Um, and I think my biggest thing with the campaigning is, like you were saying, how many movies will be affected by not having them? But how will they fare against a Priscilla that does have their cast full right. throttle right now? Mm-hmm. You know, that any A24 movie that will be able to do um, just any sort of campaigning, like we forget that. You know, you can't have international stars like Zone of Interest is mm-hmm. exempt, not just because it's A24, but I believe also because it's not an American production. It's a British production. Because exactly. It's going They're not SAG. So they are completely in the open to be able to push their lead, you know, their supporting. I don't see how you compete with that, knowing that a lot of these parties that they host is what gets some people gold. Yeah, and on on the other hand, a movie like Maestro, where not only it stars, but its director and co-writer, Bradley Cooper, is not out on the campaign trail either. And I know... completely? Completely at this point, you know, he was given permission to be in the audience at the New York Film Festival, but he was not on stage at the New York Festival. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, and you know Bradley is somebody who's probably, like dying to be out there and talking about his work as a director on the film and yeah. maybe get that kind of nomination easily uh, a couple questions here and then we'll jump into our movies of the week but uh i see josh mentioning some news that we're going to be bringing up but he mentions uh past lives with that being a24 i think it, it showcases like a really good you know possibility for this one to get it you and i have been rooting for this movie the entire year but it's almost like when you're betting horses and the, the lead horses kind of get hurt and you're like yes they got disqualified for sure this yeah. one's gonna get in i think even with a full throttle campaign from everybody this should have always been a shoe in yeah i mean the thing is that past lives kind of won the unofficial best movie of the first half of the year award you know Swept people were it. putting together their list we put together our list and it was you know high up on all, all those and people are saying well it's going to ride this wave all the way to an oscar nomination and then the fall film festivals happen and oppenheimer happens and there's there's a lot of energy around all these other movies and past lives is kind of a small quiet film i I could see it being overlooked. I don't think it will be. I think people really, really love that film. I, I love that film as well. Uh, and the final one right here is, do you think that Spider-Verse could creep into Best Picture? I mean, it's it's possible, right? Uh, I guess, it, you know, to to set the field a little bit, I think there's a like seven movies that you could say are sort of leading the pack. And then there's a couple movies vying for those last three slots right because there's a guaranteed 10 and they are movies like the color purple which nobody's really had a chance to see american fiction which won the people's choice award at toronto both of us really liked it although it does feel maybe a little bit strange for an oscar movie i don't know um then they've got anatomy of a fall here they've got zone of interest here a couple of international features which sometimes break through you know we saw all quiet on the western front pick up a best picture nomination last year but uh i feel like sometimes those international features have a harder time and according to gold derby across the spider-verse is in the mix among them alongside films like saltburn air napoleon i mean what the heck napoleon is still another one yeah napoleon too 
that's 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 another yeah. one I haven't seen. I guess. Damn. Okay. So there's still some some shoes waiting to drop. What do you think about uh, into the spot or across the Spider Verse? I should say as a potential best picture nominee. Um, if there's going to be an animation, it really comes down to what this one and the Miyazaki movie. Right. I'd root for this one. I like this one. I thought this one really stood out. Mm-hmm. And I think the response to it in general was kind of like a. It was a moment for people to sort of celebrate what an achievement these films are, how groundbreaking they've been in the world of animation, and how they kind of transcend even like the idea of animated superhero, yeah. uh, sort of like al- almost like spin off type movie, right? So, I. Yeah. People dress up as Miles Morales. He is in the canon, not just of your average comic book reader. Like, it's lore now. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it would be the biggest thing to attract a younger audience for the award show. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's got a shot. I don't know if I put it in my personal predictions, but I, I mm-hmm. think it's certainly got a better shot than animated movies generally have at cracking the yeah. best picture field. It's going to be a tight one, man. But yeah. speaking of Oscars and all of the award contenders that are coming out, it's time to talk the movies of the week. <laughs> Starting with Five Nights at Freddy's. Ooh. An animatronic that will not be seeing its way all the way to the Oscars, but did see Unlikely. itself breaking records. Mm-hmm. Look, right off the bat, I got to give it some respect. You were talking about two Blumhouse movies in Exorcist Believer and Five Nights at Freddy's. Exorcist Believer, you know... Aside from the movies themselves, there's the box office Blumhouse, you know, business model going on. And I I thought the approach that they did with Exorcist was completely off because he spent 40 million, right? 400 million dollars talking about this film. And in Exorcist, I had some people in my LME talking about how, oh, that shouldn't count. Like, they were assuming it's like buying the rights to Spider-Man, and I'm like, no one's bought the rights to Spider-Man. This would be like when Netflix gets Seinfeld. You are renting it for a short period of time. Blumhouse needs to make $400 million plus the cost of those movies. It was never going to work for Exorcist. This one's completely different. He's got this dude in his pocket, the guy who, who created this. He knew exactly that this wasn't going to be a movie for the movie fans. This wasn't going to be a movie for the gamers. I've been saying this is a movie for the people who watch the YouTube videos on Five Nuts at Freddy's because every YouTuber who's played it is damn near in this movie. <laughs> I have, we are now in this new era, Zach, where these films are being made for you to watch online because they're meant for online people. Mm-hmm. What do you yeah, think about it, it? I mean, you know, I went into it sort of expecting that this was going to be Blumhouse mm-hmm. trying to give the Blumhouse treatment to a popular uh, online IP, right? Like the right. popular video game franchise. It started and it hit me with the PG-13 and I immediately kind of shifted my expectations a little bit because mm-hmm. like it's not going for the full-on slasher, horror, bloody scares. It, it is a kind of introductory Blumhouse movie. This, this in a lot of ways feels a little bit like baby's first horror <laughs> film. And, and like... I kind of get it, you know. It, it, you you ever that. you see those like? Do you ever see those like creepy pastas that go around? And it's like, yeah. who would find this scary? The people who watch this movie would find it scary because it's probably the first time they've seen a horror movie like this one. Yeah, but there's also some creepy pastas where, like you're saying, it's not even real like visuals. It's just words. How are those scarier than this? <laughs> 
I mean, because th this, I think the aim of this isn't to be scary in the, the sense that you and I are talking about it, but more so to be kind of like living in this world of like, it's normal, but it's a little bit twisted, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's something that somebody who doesn't really uh, know horror well or has experienced a lot of horror can kind of relate to in almost like a tangential sense because it's like oh it's like the animatronics at Chuck E. Cheese but they're twisted and yeah. and it's not like oh they go on this like crazy killing spree it's we get to hang out with them you know it's like it's just sort of like an, an uh a step away from like an E.T. movie or something Honestly. like that where they find a friendly monster yeah because they also do that thing where they decided to jump ahead again for the lore people out there and instead of setting it up like they did for the fans i compared it a lot to the halo series where mm. it's like i compare it to halo where they assumed people already knew master chief so he's getting his existential crisis batman fans right we went into bvs and people did not like that movie because it's like yo people don't know what happened in his psyche why is he butt naked why are we why do we have batflex super depressed this movie's doing that same jump where it's just assuming that you've been following along and it forgets yeah. that it's the first entry and i think that's the biggest thing um, against it, as, as well as the scares. I do agree with you. It is very much trying to be that PG-13, almost family-friendly horror about a yeah. guy who abducts kids. <laughs> What'd you think of The Boy Returning? It's, it's been a while, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I, I haven't seen Josh Hutcherson on the big screen in quite a bit. Uh, and I still haven't since I saw this one at home. But <laughs> um, I don't know, man. It, I felt like he was trying to pull a performance from like a darker grittier film like he's doing a little it bit of like in one. he's doing a little bit of like the Liam Neeson taken gravel he was in the lovely bones for this. yeah <laughs> yeah like it's just the movie is trying to have a lot more fun than Josh Hatcherson is having fun with it I will say I rewatched re it for the video when I was cutting it up it yeah. does have some funny lines but it's in a dry sense of humor that the movie doesn't have. So it really is like five different tones. I believe the director, who even said that she had not played the games, was making her own movie. Um, the guy who like runs it all, those of you may know him, I, I forget what his name is. Um, he clearly had a hand in it. Like you can't even find pictures of this dude. He's he's more scary than Freddy's for being honest with you. He used to be a Christian game developer. I don't know if you heard this. He used no. to do Christian, bro, he used to do Christian games. It was a crazy uh, rabbit hole that I went down. And it was one of his games that had this animatronic, I guess as you try to find Jesus, that uh, really scared people more than anything. And he like took that and he goes, okay, I'm gonna stop making Christian games. And he started making Five Nights at Freddy's games because of that animatronic that was scaring people in that one game that he had. And then the rest is history. You know, this guy has made an entire career out of this. I think there's too many cooks in the kitchen because there will be some lines that Josh Hutchinson has where he's just like, my sister doesn't care about me. She talks more to air than she talks to me. <laughs> and the first time I heard it, I was like, this guy's just depressed. The second time I heard it, because I'm chopping up stuff, I found it funny, dude. There's later on, he has some bits where he's just so monotone. I'm like, if the movie was writing at that level, you would actually stand out. You also have uh, the little sister who they like, I hate when movies do this. They have a character say she has something, but mm -hmm. then someone's like, no, she doesn't have something. But the person who said she didn't have anything also had her in like a special school. So it's almost like they wanted to write off of like, hey, we know what Sonic fans, we know a lot of Sonic fans are on the spectrum and they want to kind of incorporate it into the movie. Are you? This was like a cut. 
Bro, I'm just telling you what. Are I you saw accusing this movie of uh, autistic stolen valor or something? <laughs> I thought they tried to gentrify it with this. Yeah, they tried to say this girl has something, but then they say she doesn't have something. I noticed that. Yeah, that was a weird thing to do. It's not as bad as uh, when evil lurks. We'll get to that. That one did an insane autistic thing. Th- that is a movie that. Um, what's your boy from Gravity? You don't want Alfonso Coron watching that one. <laughs> but then they had this actress. I spent the whole movie thinking this was your girl. Mackenzie? I don't know. It looked just like her. She's got the piercing blue eyes, but... Yeah. Yeah. uh, Not as good of an actress. Pro, absolutely not. You have a character here who uh, just made absolutely no sense and is a police officer. A lot of things jumbled up. Uh, I know that the fans really uh, enjoyed this movie for what it was, and I'm happy for y'all. I think you guys are just happy that you got a movie, and I think that's cool. Uh, They said that they have a trilogy in the works for this. Are you excited to catch the second one if they don't do the Peacock deal? Um, I kind of have no plans to catch the second one. It's, it's, I, I recognize these are not movies made for me. And I, clearly there is a, a big fan base out there who are ready and excited for them. Uh, they can enjoy them unless they get, you know, a, a bit of a different direction or, or maybe an interesting filmmaker comes in. I don't know. Like I, I just also generally, what was that? They had Chris Columbus. Did they before he dropped Harry out? Harry Potter guy, yeah. And they had that fall apart because the creator, like, I don't know, I guess they couldn't agree with the script. So it's like to think about what we could have had before it ended up with this is weird. Yeah, I don't know. It just, it's also the whole like PG 13 horror. I, I can't really think of many, if any, that mm. I particularly liked. You know, that's, it, it's kind of horror with its t- hand, with a hand tied behind its back. Ah. That's what you got to watch. The Rated R Willy's Wonderland that came out right go. in the pandemic. And hey, I will say this. This isn't a great movie. But I had a blast with this. That is my rating from when it came out. I've been seeing y'all sneak that rating in. People have been adding in an extra star. They come out of Five Nights at Freddy's. And the first thing they do is not even rewatch Willy's. They just went back and went, I'm sorry, Willy. I was really mean to you. And they've been adding that extra star. It's out on Tubi. So if you wanted to cleanse what uh, was missing. From Five Nights at Freddy's. It's not as slickly shot. The animatronics mm-hmm. are definitely nowhere near the quality that they had from the Jim Henson company for this one. But it's on Tubi. Uh, it's a, it's way more fun. It, it has the fun and the gore that I was expecting. Or I guess I shouldn't have expected from a Five Nights at Freddy's PG-13 movie. How, how, how would you rate Cage? Because that's also a Nick Cage movie. Is how, how cagey oh. does he get on a scale of 1 to 10? This is a Toronto Midnight movie, baby. They had this thing Full called cage. Rage. Bro. If a movie tells you that they have a thing called the Rage Cage Cam, are you not going? <laughs> they would put it on him and, and he would move around with it just so that he could have these freakouts. Yeah. It's so stupid, though. <laughs> it's really dumb, Zach. But isn't that what you want at midnight yeah. when, you're, when you're also. That's what a movie for, like uh, this needs. A good time. Yeah. Uh, so, Willie's Wonderland, Five Nights at Freddy's. Let us know down below. I'm working on a video for Willie's as well, and it'll be fascinating to see them go head to head because, hey, now we got a new uh, Coke versus Pepsi going on. But, Zach, tell me about Pain. Hustlers, the movie that premiered at TIFF, and they were like, we don't have any screenage for this. It's coming out on Netflix. But we have no digital screenage for this. You need to go see Absolutely it. Absolutely not. And then the people who went to go see it, yo, they they hated this movie. It has bumped up a little bit now that the general audience has seen it, but not enough, as I can see here, to call it a solid film. Yeah, all the Chris Evans and Emily Blunt fans are giving it maybe a little extra half-star or star rating on Letterboxd. She looks he looks like trash. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's kind of playing a bit of like a a Boston scumbag, and it's. I think they gave him a, a little bit of the dirtbag treatment with his suits and his facial hair. But uh, Pain Hustlers, it is a, another 
movie that is taking on the uh, rise of uh, prescription drugs and uh, dangerous uh, selling schemes around uh, prescription drugs, particularly the people who uh, the the middlemen between the drug companies and the doctors. Uh, here you have Chris Evans sort of recruits Emily Blunt's character into that world and gives her the Matthew McConaughey uh, rookie numbers speech from Wolf of Wall Street <laughs> in order to get her to buy into the the lifestyle of a drug uh, a drug seller. I, I don't know, man. It, it's like. I feel like we've gotten so many different looks at this from like dope sick to whatever that Peterberg Matthew Broderick show was on Netflix just earlier this yeah. year. And there's something that's like a little bit um, glib to the treatment here that like they don't quite get the tone right in the way that the Wolf of Wall Street does. They are really trying to go for this like perverted American dream off, uh, you know, illicit profits gained off the backs of uh the pain of regular people you know literally the title there pain hustlers but it just doesn't ever feel like they are coming across anything revelatory uh something that we haven't seen depicted in a lot of other similar uh dramas or series and it also just doesn't have a full buy-in i don't know um when you watch leonardo dicaprio play jordan belfort you feel like you're yeah, you're getting access to this world of like scummy people and illicit behavior and all this stuff. And Emily Blunt never really sells that the same way. Uh, I don't know if it's just that like her American accent isn't quite hitting in this movie, but it all just feels not as not as dark, not as uh, incisive, not as full throated. You know, it it kind of. It, it, it kneecaps itself a little bit. So I just didn't feel like this is that illuminate, that illuminating or that compelling either uh, personally. Yeah. So you would recommend definitely, I think the, the cream of the crop so far has been the, uh, the one from Hulu, right? Dope yeah. Dope sick. That's probably the best look at the, the, the rise of opioid uh, addictions yeah. and uh, the prescription drug companies role and all that. Yeah. I think you also like realize which one the winner is when, um, the, the the Netflix series House of Usher, as that was rolling out, so many reviewers were calling it Succession meets Dope Sick. And I was like, mm -hmm. out of all the ones, there you go. The moment you start making it the default uh, word, it's clearly the winner. But I'm right, yeah. Hustler, so you would recommend it at home? Nah, I, th I think it's totally skippable. Damn. All right. Well, that's Pain Hustlers out on Netflix. Uh, I have When Evil Lurks out on Shudder, a movie yeah. that uh, played at Toronto. We did not have the chance to make it out for one of these midnight screenings. Um, but I know it did have like a pretty solid two-week theatrical run. It was while uh, you were still finishing New York. I was in the midst of Chicago. So I did not have the, the time to go get possessed by this movie. <laughs> but it's a film that a lot of people, when we were making our picks for the week, were like, y'all are missing one. You are forgetting that there is a massive movie called When Evil evil lurks and it might just be the scariest movie of the year Oof. it's got some scary moments but this is a disturbing movie i think there are spectrums to horror and this one definitely captures what i would call the dread of annihilation this idea of like something spreading from people and while you have those themes of like what are these characters carrying with them here in particular it's a father who's got a lot of baggage he's trying to outrun his demons and then really mm -hmm. trying to outrun these demons um <laughs> like Annihilation, uh, the director really shouted out The Wailing. Ah, I'm missing another one. I, got, I had a third one that I was trying to mention with this. 
uh, it is pretty much like a virus movie where while it is demonic possessions, what's happening here is that they find these bodies in the small town that are super bloated, but you can't kill them. In, I want to say this is uh, Argentinian. In Argentina, they, they, they had this really big thing about you can't shoot something with a gun. You have to like personally attack it. Like, you have to kill it one-on-one. -on -one. Um, if not, it starts spreading. And it becomes this thing where it's like it can get on someone's clothes. It can get on the animals. Mm. It can get on anything. So you don't really know what's causing it to spread. It's almost like very COVID-ish uh, kind of, but it doesn't like super lean in that it feels like it's talking about that. It very much feels like a movie that's, taking the idea of how do bad ideas spread and making it like a possession horror where it's not religious. And this is something that I, I went back to watch because the director, Demian, had done this movie called Terrified. It had been on my watch list for the longest time, so I finally get to uh, log it in here. This is the more... Like, this movie breaks down the ideas that he has going on in um, uh, Lurks. Mm. But he actually has characters telling you, like, what's happening. Like, these two are sister films. You can say that mm. When Evil Lurks is happening in, 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 like, the countryside, and this is happening in the suburbs. This also has the storyline where something is spreading, and they don't realize that the neighbors caught something, so now he's kind of possessed. So then when, like, a little kid drinks out of his water fountain, that kid ends up becoming possessed. And there's a character who kind of breaks down what's happening that really helps you understand When Evil Lurks, and that's that it's almost like again like annihilation it's like in the bacteria these microcosms and i found mm. that really fascinating because it's a way to look at demonic entities uh in a different way we keep bringing up exorcist believer but like that was a movie that wanted to do something different forgetting you already have that lore established there it's a very catholic movie this guy's on it he's been able to make these demonic possession movies without having that that not backing but like falling back on the religious side of it to like get you out of it i would highly recommend if you want if you're a fan of these types of movies but wanted to see a different take on it, Terrified is a perfect example of that. And then when evil lurks, let me rate this one right here live. This one was pretty solid, bro. There, there is some crazy imagery. There is a, uh, a body that they used of a child. And a fun fact, that body was so realistic. This man brought it back for when evil lurks. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's sick, bro. There are some nasty shots. This right here that you see, that's not even the biggest one. I don't even want to spoil. You just, it's almost comedic. I heard that his first movie was a horror comedy. This man knows that he's dangling something right in front of you. And he's just, like, you're just anticipating the worst possible outcome. And it goes there, Zach. You said you're going to be willing to give this one a shot. Yeah. I warned you with it. I got to watch something gruesome. for Halloween tomorrow. So I, well, this I guess is this is the one. a perfect Halloween watch. I can't say it's my favorite horror of the year. <laughs> And we've, we've had a big spectrum of horror. Obviously, this definitely is for those people who want to watch something very disturbing. I think the take on possession, uh, to a degree, is really interesting. I'm very curious to catch up on his other works because it very much seems like they all speak to each other. Um, but I got to shout out the man in Terrified. He's got a shot. Let me know if this sounds familiar. Of somebody waiting in their car from the profile from the passenger seat. And a character walks up to his side and then their neck bends down. <laughs> the smile shot? Turns out they took it from him. He said he never saw a dime. So Smile, what I consider to be a very surprised, you know, horror hit. We got to see that one together in New York. Yeah. Um, I would recommend that movie. Yo, you got to go back to the original source. This is the man who gave him that idea. <laughs> like right. I always said, if y'all catch anybody stabbing themselves with an axe, give me a call because I do own the rights to this one. Um, terrified. He's looking to make a sequel for that one. They said cool. Guillermo del Toro 
is uh, trying to make a remake, an English remake to that movie. Oh, all right. So catch up on this guy. This guy definitely is a uh, horror director to look out for. And uh, yeah, I recommend When Evil Lurks. Very disturbing movie, but it's out on Shutter. I think we both responded pretty strongly to Talk to Me earlier this year from the mm. Philippou Brothers, uh, which is also a pretty like sadistic, twisted horror film. Does this one have it beat at least in the sadism category? Yeah, no, by a lot. <laughs> That's that one's all the way over there, Zach. Oh, but geez. in terms of like the characters and the stories, yeah, this one definitely has some characters that you 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 question a little bit. But in terms of the script, you're like, okay, yeah, you're kind of like a broken character. And it's until the second half where you're like, okay, what are we what are we doing here? Um, on a relaunch, you do notice some some backstory, especially because the two leads are brothers. You're following the main guy, but you notice the brother's got his own secrets as well. And you start learning more about the main guy. I think it loses it a little bit in the second half, uh, story-wise, but it never loses it in terms of the gore. It just gets nastier and nastier and nastier. But talk to me. Uh, I think when Evil Lurks fans will definitely argue with you that this is the better movie. I'm sticking with Talk to Me. To me, that just shows you that yeah, we we've got a pretty solid year of horror. Nice. And the one thing we can agree, whether you're you have a different take on this one or Talk to Me or whatever your favorite horror is, is that it shouldn't be Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> The next one that we have here, we're going to keep it quick because we're going to do a whole after credits yeah. for it. It's in theaters right now, and it comes out on Netflix. November what, 10th? I think yeah. November 10th. Last week when we were recording our uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, I had to leave for the killer. I left, like, right in time. I wasn't going to be able to make it. There was going to be traffic. Dude, I get there five minutes late, and I'm like, damn, I'm going to miss the beginning. I don't know what's going to happen in the intro. A little insight, a little inside baseball for y'all. When you're in press, no press matters, unless you're like special press. And I've recognized the, uh, let's just call them special presses in our Chicago area. And if they arrive late, they will start the screening late. Bro, I parked the car, ran up there, and I saw the back of the head of beep. And I'm like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> I get up there. Bro, you, you can tell when they live like in their own world, right? Because mm -hmm. they're, dude's rushing up there thinking he's late. I'm like, nah, they they will hold it for you. He gets up there and they're like, oh, don't worry. It starts at 610. I'm like, it was never going to start at 610. Whenever he arrived, they were going to add five minutes to the clock. And that's when it was going to start. They I need that right review him. from that uh, big outlet. Yeah, that, that, that massive outlet that people yeah. read. Um, yeah, so I was safe. I got to catch the entirety of this movie. You had compared it to an era of Fincher that isn't my most favorite era of, of Fincher, but definitely would be a slickest era uh, in the early 2010s. Mm -hmm. I think it definitely fits that. Totally. I thought it was good. You, you were kind of like middling on it? It's not a top tier Fincher for you? I think it starts intriguing. Yeah. And then redundant, <laughs> redundant, redundant. It was one of my favorite lines. But, but it's very methodical, right? I wouldn't yeah. call that boring. I wouldn't call that, uh, <laughs> well, I would call it not exhilarating, but it's very methodical at the beginning and it very much feels, I was hearing a lot of people talk, like he's being very introspective on his uh, approach to directing. It's that right. second half that I really like, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like, it's interesting because this is a movie about a hitman, but um, it's a movie about a hitman, but it's not focusing on a lot of the things that most hitman movies focus on, right? Like it's not really about uh, how he does the killing or how he like, uh, you know, finds out about the client. It's all sort of in response to a moment like that. Yeah, like a revenge thriller. Right. And it, it, it's so much more focused on like 
how he goes about choosing his outfit than it is about how he goes about choosing <laughs> his gun, which is in a way like yeah. kind of awesome. Like the, the detail of it all is what I found to be the most exhilarating. Like it's not the kind of story that will stick with you. It's almost like there, there's like an absence of heart to the story. It's just mm -hmm. kind of plain and told, but this has got to be stylistically at least one of the best Fincher films that he's put together just because it's, it's all flex for him. It's all like, let me put together a sequence so efficiently and well shot that you no other, you won't mistake this Nobody for any other director on the planet. Yes, sir. Uh, the two things that definitely stood out to me. Well, I'll say three, one, when did he become a race car driver? Is that you there? Wait, sorry, say that one more time. Camera. But for those who didn't yeah. know, because I didn't know, this man is now doing F1 NASCAR. I, I, don't, I don't even know what he's doing, but this man stopped making movies because he has <laughs> officially become a, a driver for race cars. So the way that they filmed this movie was that they needed to actually get him in between, I guess, filming Next Go Wins uh, during whatever offseason he had because he's officially become uh, a sports dude. So Yeah, you, an F1 you, guy you kinda, or, whatever, or formula yeah, racing I, at least. Is, is it formula racing? Is that why he is that well, why he's like, so thin in the movie? It's not legit formula one, but I think it's like formula three or something like that. But like what happened? When did he leave for the little leagues? <laughs> I, I think it was like like pre-COVID and then he just continued it through that because he's he hasn't really been in movies. Yeah, I saw that Dark Phoenix was like in yeah. his last five movies. That's no no no, we need him back. He this, had this a kid or two with Alicia Vikander and decided to just go faster than any human should. Damn, bro. Well, he is super thin in this movie, and that, like, explained a lot because you could, yeah. like, there is no body fat on this man during this film, which also adds insane a lot to the Insane yoga poses. It, yeah, insane. Um, my second point for the killer would have been that there is a fight sequence that I definitely Ooh. was not expecting to be a standout of the year. I saw it on a pretty dark screen, so I that, that's my only thing with it. So I can't wait to watch it back home. But even with it being very dark at that theater, dude, I freaking love that fight scene. It was mm -hmm. so brutal. It, was, it Like, you could feel it. One of the characters should have felt it a little bit more afterwards, I felt. But, I, dude, that really stood out to me. Yeah. I, I, I was not expecting that much uh, going into the movie in terms of the violence, hand-to-hand mm -hmm. -hand combat. Fincher just very casually being like, oh, I could direct the raid if the I felt raid? like it. The raid? Dude, like, that's a shout-out if we're saying that we're, we thought of that movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the last one, it's something that stuck with Fincher for the longest time. Um, you know, he was shooting a couple shots here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he does a Starbucks shot. Bro, that's... I've been to that Starbucks. I'll just say that. <laughs> I knew the areas he was filming in Chicago. He gets at consumerism. Yes. Like, I was watching a little bit. I was like, wait, how did he clear that? Wait, no, how did he clear that? And then I realized, oh, David, you're cooking. Yeah. We have a whole spoiler discussion that we're going to be doing. We'll split that after credits with a little bit of a review. But I definitely want to talk to you about how he used all of technology in this movie. Because, Absolutely. again, that comes in the second half. You wait a little bit with his methods and everything and how he said the redundancies of being a killer, maybe even being a filmmaker. But that second half of the movie, the action... The, the, the methods of how he goes about it, his revenge, but what he's commenting on, in, not just in America, but worldwide, I thought was yeah. was really intriguing. So The Killer, uh, I can't wait to rewatch this one. I can't wait to talk to you more about it. Uh, literally totally. right there, after this 
yeah, I think some people are mistaking this for me being a movie that isn't really about much, but like the transactional nature of all this stuff, like violence yeah. in the age of Uber Eats, I think is, is like the best way to sum up what's That's going on in this way movie. To put it. I see right here Josh talking about people saying that it's product placement. <laughs> you know how people have been misconstruing uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, not realizing that it's going to take them 10 years? Mm-hmm. This would be a bad take on like thinking that that's product placement. No. Yeah. Thinking that that's product placement is like thinking that the killers of the Flower Moon are the people you should be following. No siree. There is some discuss. Well, again, it's for, it's for the spoiler discussion, but yeah. I was very impressed with how he uh, used product placement in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. So product dissing is what it was, to be honest with you. But uh, let's get let's get into the main review here. Uh, yeah, let's go from I, one auteur to another, right? Yeah, uh, you got to see Priscilla at the New York Film Festival. I got to see it. Uh, not necessarily as a part of the closing of Chicago, but as soon as the Chicago Film Festival closed, I got an invite mm-hmm. to come see Priscilla, uh, the newest movie by Sofia Coppola that is following uh, Priscilla Presley, specifically the book that the real Priscilla wrote called um, Elvis and Me that just came out a couple of years ago. I think you can even rent it for free on Hoopla. They've got the audiobook and the regular book there. I'm going through it at the moment. Um, but going into the movie, you know, I knew it was going to look great. I knew the gowns were going to be, like, decked out because I think it's, uh, who did they get for this? They, they had, like, <laughs> this was one of those movies at the end where you just saw them give shout-outs. They didn't give the producer credit like they did with the Almodovar short, but, um, I think it was, like, Chanel. They had them decked out and they reenacted magazines. They reenacted, uh, album covers, their photo shoots. And then they start reenacting her, like, 16-year-old <laughs> sweet 16 birthday cards, and that's when you realize what this movie's really getting at, about how young uh, she ended up being courted for this relationship mm-hmm. and how much she felt kind of like a prisoner being in the uh, Elvis household. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's the ways in which a young girl can be made to uh, be, adopt the roles of like a grown woman uh, yeah. it, based on how society views her and wants to treat her. And it's done in such like a really interesting, like I, I want to say like un uncommented on kind of way. I would almost wanted to say non-judgmental, but that's the wrong word to use. It reminds me of how there's like a frankness to the sexism and racism in a, in a show like Mad Men or something like that, mm. where they're not trying to give you like, Uh, shoot it in a way or set it to a musical score that's like, this is how you should feel about this moment. It just sort of shows you how uh, bizarre or or like, you know, uh, inappropriate her situation is and just kind of plays it plainly for you to experience how sort of disorienting it must have been and how inappropriate it feels. Um, like Lover's Rock, I think, where you're comparing, there's that scene yeah. in the Steve McQueen movie where they're, like, partying the whole time. They go out for, like, a smoke or a break, and they have this very awkward interaction with a cop, and then they just go back to it. They don't make it that, but they exactly. showcase it to you a little bit. Okay. Exactly. Like, there's a there's a subtlety to it that even though it's not, like, hiding what it what it wants to talk about it's not hitting you over the head with it either that i that i appreciate and it's similar to the tone that we get in most sofia coppola films because she's not a filmmaker who will have her characters just go out and say it or make some kind of big dramatic speech she's really good at just showcasing their emotional state through juxtaposing them uh on these like opulent places you know she's obviously like 
the best filmmaker we have at showcasing the inner lives of women who pretty women who are exist in worlds of privilege. Right. Yeah. Um, isolation. Yeah. The isolation of that. Totally. Um, there's a Roger Ebert review of Marie Antoinette, a previous Sofia Coppola film that was going around and I, I read it and it, it struck me just how good of a review it is of Priscilla as well. He says, yeah. this is Sofia Coppola's third film centering on the loneliness of being female and surrounded by a world that knows how to use you, but not how to value and understand you. It shows Coppola once Damn. again, able to draw notes from actresses who are rarely required to sound them. And it's crazy. You know, Ebert wrote a perfect review of Priscilla 20 oh, years before man. Priscilla came out. That's insane. Yeah, because they are writing that right now. <laughs> Damn, that man had a way with words. No, I, there was also a through line going back and uh, like I've been trying to rewatch her filmography because Alina hasn't seen a lot of her movies. I think like mm. literally the bling ring was the first one of the first movies when we started dating that we saw together. And nice. we never got back to see a lot of her older ones, including this one. But um, in in researching this movie there was a, a lookbook that she's been putting out which looked really crazy um and it goes through her entire career for Sofia Coppola and she talked about how in Marie Antoinette she kind of like follows her character based on her hair in particular and mm. how her hair is styled really puts you into the mind of the character dude Priscilla does that beautifully because yeah. there are moments where obviously when she's living with Elvis she is told what colors to wear and you see that juxtaposed whenever he's gone, that she gets to kind of like wear the blue that she wasn't allowed to, or I think the pink she wasn't allowed to. Mm -hmm. And then when he's back, she kind of has to switch it off. And there's like, you just follow that through the clothing. And it's this idea of like, yo, she's got every single aspect of this production, uh, you know, down pat. But it becomes so subtle, like you're saying, that we had a couple of people from our press screening who were coming out going like, you know, they wanted to see more from her. And they wanted mm -hmm. to see this. And I, I feel many times we look, back on these movies with a big 2023 lens not realizing like no the, you can't change what it was like even i towards the third half the, the third act of this movie i was like man you know we don't really get a lot of priscilla it's almost like she lives in his world that's right <laughs> you know it's like you answer your question <laughs> right. in the complaint that you have and i feel that uh, many times we approach these movies wanting something else when we should be asking why didn't we get that? What was the director actually going for? And I think she knocks it out perfectly here about how she was trying to be her own while living in this world. You know, she totally. leaves her parents because they were always telling her no, <laughs> only to enter this world of the Presleys where she got hit with nevers. Yeah. It was very well told. Well put. Uh, where do you rank this among the Sofia Coppola films you've oh, seen? Because she... She's obviously kind of works on similar themes. I don't know if this is one that like struck me as maybe like expanding on it particularly more i think she does more interesting stuff with like a marie antoinette with the virgin suicides obviously lost in translation lost in being kind of yeah. like the peak uh the for, peak sure. for me too i i definitely think this is like not lower tier sofia coppola but maybe not like top tier sofia either yeah, it's right in the center. I don't want to say mid because, yeah. you know, that's got connotations now too, but it's right in the middle. Right. From the, the classics that you mentioned, then rewatching them right now, I'll be able to rearrange it better. But I, I think it's there. I think to me right now, the lowest would be Bling Ring. I'm curious to see. Um, yeah, that's a movie that my, didn't really work for me, even though I, I like aspects of it. Right? There were some really good shots that I always still shout out that yes. uh, house shot where we do our 824 brackets. I'm a person who falls. Uh, more positively on On the Rocks. I thought that was a beautifully shot movie. I like the dynamic that they had going there as yeah. uh, father and daughter. Um, so yeah, right now it's in the center, but I'll get back to you by next week, definitely, on uh, what bracket. 
honestly, we should make a Sofia Coppola bracket. I think there's enough there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's probably enough for 16. Maybe if we the include some of the... A very Merry Christmas, easily, without a doubt. <laughs> Maybe if we include a Godfather 3, we can get to 16 movies. Oh, no. We can't... Was she AD on that? She was just the actress in that. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I am I think we uh, we definitely have it right in the center of uh, the movie that she's come out. But like you said, it's definitely a product, uh, a continuation of the stories that she's been telling about women. I mean, she is the daughter of Francis Ford Coppola. I know she shouted out her mom. You said she couldn't be there for the New York Film Festival because yeah. she was with her about how she's really trying to um, almost make it a movie for her mother as well and what her mother must have felt going through it. Because we had looked back on it and her mom was like a documentarian. And we're like, oh, my gosh, she's a documentarian. I didn't know this. Yeah, she was documenting the behind the scenes to Francis's movies. And it's like she was always there by him. And, you know, it'd be fascinating to see more of her insights about uh, what she translated from her mom's story into this. Hey, man, I saw your Letterboxd review, though. Uh, you want to you talk about it? <laughs> Jacob okay. Lordy over Austin Butler? Bro, you saw Saltburn. I did see Saltburn. <laughs> we got to talk about the movie. How is Jacob Lordy? Jacob Lurie is a really good actor. I think Jacob is, is a legit movie star. I also, I will say this too, because he was at the press conference for New York Film Festival that I was at. And you were that having dude enters the That dude enters the room uh -huh. like a movie star. Okay. He carries himself like exactly. James Dean and everybody looks at him. Thank you. So why am I getting yelled at, bro? I said <laughs> Jacob Elordi over Austin Butler. I didn't say they're Elvis Presleys. I know it was a Priscilla review, but I wasn't saying fully the performance. One is a lead. Yeah. One is a supporting. But, dude, when that boy came out to play the piano at the party at the beginning of Priscilla, I didn't realize that it wasn't the people on screen wooing. The men, not even the women, the men at our screening were, like, sweating, dude. Yeah. He was able to embody something that I don't think Austin Butler had in there. Austin Butler really was able to handle that movie from the creative standpoint, you know, really feeling like he was in a trap. Mm -hmm. I, I love that part. I, you know, I'm, we're we talked about Elvis. Yeah. I like the Austin Butler Elvis. But he did not embody with that, like, melted face of his. The icon. The coolness. Yeah. The sexiness of Elvis. That movie would show him doing the wiggle and then would show you women and men fawning over him. Mm -hmm. But here, it felt, you could feel it. When that boy was playing the piano or talking, or, or he oozed out cool that Austin Butler couldn't have. Austin Butler had the voice. He had some of the moves. Jacob's got the aura. I think he really had the aura. That's all I was saying, man. Yeah. And I was trying to ruffle feathers, but that's all I was saying. Man, I got yelled at. I got so many L, L, L. And I click on them. You can't tell me I got an L when you gave Elvis three and a half. <laughs> oh. Look, I think they're both, uh, I can't even call them companion pieces, but it's definitely a double feature. I've been seeing Elvis fans, and I'm sure we'll even get this in the comments of this video. Uh, Elvis fans are very protective of him. Um, this is very. a movie that was not allowed to use the... Uh, music for Elvis. I think they were able to get one song in there, maybe because it was like a side recording. Yeah, because uh, I don't. I think he didn't write it. Is how they were. Yeah, it was that, something yeah. like that. It, it always reminds me of how uh, there was a commercial that got a Chance the Rapper song because he was featured on it, and they couldn't get the Chance song, so they got mm -hmm. the song and used the part where he did his, ah, ah, <laughs> and they got away with it. It's able to sneak one song in there, but I gotta get. I gotta give him a shout out because they they. I, I forget who did the music for this. They were able to, uh, with the score and with a lot of the other soundtracks that they had within the movie, not make it something that stood out. Like, I thought it did a great job of uh, going through the eras without you having to, like, yeah. stop and go like, hey, you know, this Jimi Hendrix movie doesn't have Jimi Hendrix songs. 
or, or something like that. You still get to see him perform. Um, and like we said, that the that aura comes off. So I wasn't as distracted by that. I don't know if you were. No, I mean, Sophia is also one of the masters at sort of the like um, out of Big time state. pop song placement, you know, like yeah. Marie Antoinette being uh, full, full of more modern music and stuff like that. So I think rather than centering you, you in kind of like a um, authentic representation of what the music sounded like at that time, they do a good job of giving you music that's really evocative of those feelings too. Great. So, yeah. Well put. Yeah. It, it, it might not be, you know, wall to wall Elvis music, but it works to get you the Priscilla story. Yeah. So I, I'm curious how Elvis fans are going to take this. Cause uh, again, going through the book and even in the movie, there are some really big things that he puts out there about Elvis. Uh, a lot of connotations, I think in both ways, stuff that she kind of alludes to Elvis, some mm -hmm. stuff that's definitely front and center about his tantrums, or as he would say, uh, I got my mama's temper. Um, but then even also, I would say for Priscilla, you know, in trying to honor Priscilla, she also doesn't go at her sometimes when you start seeing, you know, moments where she's by herself and they say she can't have people, but then sometimes she does have people. You know, she starts maybe, you know, as she sees Elvis with a bunch of other people on the trades and, you know, the news starts talking about other actresses that he's going out with that she tries to find her own source, but they, they won't fully dive into that. And, you know, there are moments I wanted to see them not incriminate one or the other, but not be, like you said, uh, afraid to showcase it, not just skirt around it and allude yeah. to it. Be a little um, more explicit in, in yeah, the details not, of the relationships. Yeah. Um, but I know that Elvis fans are very protective because anything that smears the king, they're going to mm. come after. So uh, I think we're going to have biased perspectives either way uh, on how they broke down history with this. But I think her approach to it was was it's not the most enthralling movie, but it's not supposed to be. You know, it's literally about a woman who feels isolated. Um, and I would know the arguments are going to be like, well, she could have left whenever she wants. And I would argue this is the movie of a guy who never got no's from anybody. Yeah. In the military, he could talk to somebody and they'll be like, okay. Her parents were like, we're not sure about this. The moment he entered their house, it's like they never had anything uh, against them. Mm -hmm. He meets a nun in this movie who's so uptight and her knees damn near buckled, wiggled <laughs> like he does on the stage the moment his presence was right in front yeah. of her. I mean, I it, think is, th it is a really great portrait just of celebrity and, and like the, the kind of doors that celebrity opens. Easily. And that's why I feel that this is a movie in where it is about someone leaving. It's just, he never got no's. This is the story of a woman. It took her that long to break free, that long to yeah. give him that no. Yeah. I, for what it's going for, I think it, it achieved it. Absolutely. Um, I don't think it's ultimately going to be like a big part of the Oscars discussion just because we were having that talk a little bit earlier in this uh, weekend must watch. I could see it getting in for some costume design, production design stuff, but easily beyond that, I, I think it's maybe a little bit too reserved, a little bit too quiet uh, to break through this yeah. year, which is a pretty was, strong uh, year. Valentino and Chanel. They knocked it out of the park. That's there what it was. Uh, I pulled it up in my notes there. Uh, and the, the music was done by uh, Sons of Raphael. Uh, oh. I feel like they sound a little familiar. They probably done some other Coppola stuff, but uh, good stuff there. Another credit yeah. would have been uh, her brother, Roman Coppola. Uh, he was on there as producer and second unit, so call it a family yeah. affair, if you will. It, you know, I, I agree with you. I think the costumes definitely, in terms of Oscars, um, I, I will say, uh, he's got this line where he says, I'm going to be a daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to get that clip in HD. 
<laughs> you no way! No way! He said it. <laughs> yeah, Thank the best thoughts are Oh too. my goodness! Yes. Oh, I'm so glad it stood out to you as well. I love that line. Alita and I have been quoting it. I'm gonna be a daddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. With the accent, it's so fun. I love it. Um, but yeah, do do not expect something as bombastic as Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. It is definitely more reserved, way more mm-hmm. quiet. Yeah. Kaylee did a fantastic job with it. Uh, at the beginning, it said she won at Berlin now, if I'm not mistaken. That was the festival where she took uh, yeah. Best Actress. Very subtle performance. Like, <laughs> it was sure. also just a genius bit of casting to get cast somebody so small next to somebody so tall. that he, She's got a full, like, head and a half shorter than he is. And then they dress her up like she's not a child. But the doll a child yeah. plays with. They, yeah. Yeah. Very effective. There were some shots that were, uh, they were a little scary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that is the story of Priscilla. Uh, we're curious to know your thoughts down below. Let us know um, um, about this movie, any other ones. And if you've read the book, anything that you wish, once you compare both of them, that you think uh, should have made it to the cut. Other than that, that is all of our movies for this week. We've got some movie news to talk about. And Zach, I'm going to let you take this one away. I'll open them for you. But you told me right before we we started recording, <laughs> the producers hit you up and said, we got a new movie coming out. I'm going to start with the second one first because this is the one that really blows my mind. Yeah. How? They follow. A sequel to It, it has a follows. name? Yeah. Uh, it even has a teaser poster if you select the second link in our document. Uh, Neon is teasing a long-awaited sequel to the, oh, I think we could already call it cult classic uh, horror film from David yeah, Robert Mitchell, it? it Follows. Okay, it, look, I was a little iffy on it. I don't know what about this poster's got me going. You're back in. Just I'm the poster, that's in. all you need. Uh, look, well, no, this definitely the, is one. The, what do you think about going with the They Follow instead of like an It Follows too? I mean, you just told me the name of it, and I think yeah. that's what's causing me to kind of change. It's kind of it raw. Follows too would have sucked. They follows kind of raw. It's everywhere. Now, this is a movie. I remember when I first saw it, I had like a love hate relationship with it. I thought it was slick. I thought the metaphors that you know were very yeah. uh, uh, on the forefront were were interesting. Um, but I had my qualms with it. Not too long ago, someone made a YouTube video, and I'll try to link it. Very rare. We see so many video essays nowadays, and it's mostly people just you know buying the A24 book and repeating what they found from there. Someone did an incredible breakdown about it being about the loss of innocence and the way they broke it down was so good. It actually made me want to rewatch It Follows. Might tomorrow for spooky season. You know I'm a big fan of Under the Silver Lake. I think he's an underrated director. I don't know if this is like his... Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson Moana thing where they're now making him do a sequel to one of his biggest movies because they don't want to fund whatever his next original project is, but that looks pretty sick. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it that's, the thumbs the, up. that's the thing is we haven't been getting a lot from uh, David Robert Mitchell. He, of course, made Under the Silver Lake, which is a like sprawling, crazy uh, indie drama that we people like you absolutely love. But I don't think it was necessarily like the biggest financial success. So no, it was not. I I'd like to think that he's coming back to this with an idea and not just because it's like access to a budget that may then maybe will give him access to the next movie. But look, if that's what he's got to do, too, then that's what he's got to do. Uh, I think it's exciting that Michael Monroe is back as well, because I really uh, liked her in that in the first film. Uh, she's a really good final girl. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to be excited for this until they give me a reason to not be excited for it. 
Yeah, I think you also, you did find the video. I'm pretty sure it's this one right here. So you had seen it as well? No, I just did a quick uh, YouTube search, but uh, yeah. Terror Formed, I think is the channel. I am almost positive it is this. Yeah, four months ago I saw it when it was fresh on my feet. It's got to be this. It has to be this. Let me see. If I come here. Yeah, I saw his Megan one. So it was this dude. I saw this right here and I was like, damn, he knocked it out of the park. It's like uh, a lot of people did like mother breakdowns. I remember I was like one of the first to break down the religious stuff and then everyone just like copied the religious stuff and it took a while before someone came in and started talking about it from Aronofsky as a creator and, mm. and his how he uses his muses. Bro, it took a while before I finally found like a really solid It Follows video. Check out this dude's stuff. It, it was, yeah, that, that made me, the whole point of when you watch these video essays, you want to have a completely different opinion on a movie or a more informed. That was a great look at it. So if you haven't seen It Follows in a while, watch this. It's going to make you rewatch the movie. Very really cool. Good stuff. Shout out Terraform. Very good stuff. Easily. But uh, we also have the Black Phone 2. I had read that they were talking to each other and they had said, we're not making a sequel unless he's got a good idea. Ring the phone. He said, hi, I got a good idea. <laughs> 2025, man. Yeah. I mean, when we saw the Black Phone, I think one of the things that we both responded to was sort of the sense that there is sort of a greater world there, like that they are scratching the surface of this whole uh, of this idea of these powers and what whatever magical realism elements are happening there. So there's obviously going to be more stuff to dive into. Um, you know, I think while I, I said we complimented those aspects of it, neither of us particularly loved the Black Phone. Um, I'd I think I really liked it. Yeah, I think there. I think it's from uh, a couple filmmakers that we like, in Scott Derrickson mm -hmm. and uh, C. Robert Cargill, his uh, frequent co collaborator. Um, and they've made a lot of really interesting stuff. So I, I'm I'm down for it. You know, I think there's a lot of really effective sequences and creepy moments. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm certainly down to spend more time in the Black Phone universe as well. Easily, I mean, those two did Sinister, right? Right. And Sinister kind of got its follow up, but not really with them because they were doing the Marvel stuff with Doctor Strange. We know how that turned out. I yeah. kind of had the falling out there. Coming back to this is what we should have gotten probably, you know, half a decade ago. Right. I think that they should be doing the James Wan Lee Wynell thing. This is another really good, honestly, power couple between the director and the writer where we can get a lot of these universes built out. Um, and I think that's a lot better than, than, than going and doing the Marvel thing because uh, I think they're, they have a really good eye for horror. Totally, totally. The, the performances is what stood out to us though for the first black phone right so how do you repeat that that's my thing well i mean that that's a good question i wonder if like do you, can you continue this series with ethan hawk or is he done you know but it's, yeah. it was also the kids that really kids. stood out i would they assume they're going to bring the though. kids back but maybe that's a weird assumption yeah that that's where it could get weird because again sinister didn't do that for its follow-up and yeah i feel like you have you run the chance of it being way too like we're the teen I don't know like superhero <laughs> Justice League or something right. of the supernatural elements, <sighs> but then trying to find uh, another set of kids that uh, have that same energy that these two had, I don't know may maybe a little bit too difficult. But hey, uh, when I made the LME for this, people really resonated with it. it. Was one of our best performing ones at the time, so it made sense that Universal would, pun intended, ring up call up the the line again to get another one. <laughs> Uh, let's wrap this up really quickly. I don't know if you saw the Gothams are out there. I did. Uh, for the, what is it, 33rd annual nominations. And right off the bat, we got some really good ones. We'll briskly go through them. But I have one question for you. What the heck is a Gotham? <laughs> if uh, we're nominating major studios. 
I don't really get it. Um, normally, this is a award uh, award ceremony that features a lot of kind of like indie films or yeah. maybe like in between films. Those kind of ten to twenty million dollar movies that don't get the huge marketing budgets of uh, blockbuster films, but they got some some big features in here uh randomly yeah why poor things is in best international feature right despite being a searchlight pictures film from yorgos lanthimos whose last movie was nominated for best picture is why supporting from a barbie movie but then not nominating barbie like which way wait, wait, so it's good yeah. for supporting but then you're not gonna include it for best picture and i guess like the the most like practical answer to this is that the Gothams nominate different uh, critics or film industry professionals to select the nominees for each individual category. So each individual category has different people uh, suggesting what they think. So there are no like real set in stone guidelines here. It's, it's kind of like a ever changing collective hive mind Thing happening but I, I i don't know i just think it's very weird um to have this opportunity to showcase you know the gothams one thing that really sets them apart is they kind of come first in this whole yeah. fall award season thing we're gonna get more and more but the gothams are early and they help set the tone and they can get a name like uh andrew high who's the writer director of uh, all of us strangers they can you know help force names like that into the discussion ryan gosling doesn't need that he doesn't boost. need it yeah it's it's really weird but uh i do want to go through these give me a little yay or nay just a quick who yep. you would be rooting for there and then a nay for something that's like what is this doing at the gothams because again yeah. like you said i even made an lme one time for the gothams early on because i liked their selection it was like a way to wrap up a bunch of independent films that if i didn't cover them in a festival or or see them there you know, it, it was a solid list of nominations. Like you said, put eyes on those. But uh, yeah, yay or nay on, on uh, right here for best screenplay. Um, I mean, I would probably go with a yay over on May, December. That's just Ooh. a really, really juicy script uh, there from, uh, I think, Sammy Birch is the main writer on it. Um, that one. And I also think Jonathan Glazer did pretty excellent work with he The did, Zone yeah. of Interest. I was splitting between that because of the way uh, I heard that he adapted the movie, kind of like the the novel, kind of like The Shining, where he mm -hmm. just took the essence of it and then ran with his own thing. Um, but I also think Anatomy of a Fall could have a, a really strong, uh, be, be a strong contender. But shout out RMN. This is I was going to say is why we like the award thing like this because yeah, shout and out movies like that. I think you and I were both mixed on the movie, but it's got one of the best written scenes of the, the year. Scene? Yes, yeah. sir. So that's a good one right there. Moving on to Breakthrough Director. We've got All Dirt Roads, Raven Jackson, Blue Jean, Wesera, 1001 Past Lives. I mean, this is me right now. I have to go Celine Song because Past Lives is the biggest yeah. one there. But like, sheesh, All Dirt Roads, Raven Jackson made a very visually poetic movie. And A.V. Rockwell really took us back <laughs> to that uh, early 2000s uh, New York. But yeah, I got I to gotta plug in with Celine. Yeah, it almost feels like Celine shouldn't be in this category because people responded so strongly to Past Lives. But it's still a debut film, right? And it right? is kind of like an under-the-radar movie. A24, just like All Dirt Roads. Yeah, I, I do want to give that second shout-out like you did to uh, A.V. Rockwell because I think 1001 is, is one of those films that... And I, I've been saying this, but unfortunately it feels like it's going to be the, the movie that gets on the lists of 
oh, you should have nominated this movie or you should have seen this movie and put but it people on your never talked about it all throughout the year. But exactly. we do talk about it here on Intercut. It's fantastic. Yeah. And I've been seeing some love uh, go on the way for Blue Jean because uh, I may still have a link for that. I might have to forward it to Ooh. you. That was at Chicago. It was okay. pretty good. Pretty good directorial debut. Um, breakthrough series. I know they do over 40 minutes and they do under 40 minutes. Yeah. Uh, right off the bat, I think, nay on The Last of Us. That is a full HBO show. It does not need to be here. Yeah, isn't but, it like their highest rated debut? Like, yeah. Like, either ever or since Dragon? It's like, what's too going big. on? But then I feel kind of hypocritical because Dead Ringers is on Prime. And I also feel that's too big, but that would be my locked in pick. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably go with Dead Ringers when we're talking about this selection of shows. But like you said, TV is a little bit weird. I, I heard Dead Ringers also had like a crazy high budget that you wouldn't uh, it shouldn't suspect. count. Yeah. I feel like Rain Dogs. And again, I don't know Rain Dogs like that, but I feel like that's probably the smallest pick up here. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. We feel like that's what uh, should be getting the uh, recommendations. For breakthrough um, over 40 minutes. But what about under 40 minutes? Under 40 minutes. Again, all of these seem way too big. Yeah. Beef or swarm, beef or swarm. I'm gonna go beef. I'll give it to I'm a Virgo. That was that really? was very creative and stimulating. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna switch to swarm. Uh, going to outstanding lead performance. This is where it got kind of interesting. I do like that yeah. the Gotham's is something that we started doing with our uh, Intercut Awards as well. Is combining all of the performers into one. They were able to sneak in Lily Gladstone for the Unknown Country. You, you know all those people who were like. Uh, killer should have had more of her but they don't know what uh the unknown country is yes that is a movie that is out there and it got a nomination uh, yeah. for lead very subtle performance uh she drives around a lot kaylee spaney from priscilla i know you liked your girl michelle williams and showing up for sure i'm gonna go franz because it's my boy he did a really good job in passages he did franz is great in that film i think you could also give some love to tiana taylor tiana taylor in a thousand and one yeah. Uh, I also like that pick of Greta Lee uh, in there as well. It's a it's a stacked category. It's going to be hard to hard to pick one yeah, from Tiana's all of these close. performances. Uh, yeah, I'm going to lock it in with Franz for this batch right here. No love for Jeffrey Wright in American Fiction. Yeah, what the heck? Oh wait, oh he's up there. My bad. Yeah. Uh, no, I like them. Anjana Ellis Taylor in Origin. A lot of good performances here. Ooh, and Franz look, is a good pick though. And Andrew, Andrew Scott was also really good. I know we didn't yeah. uh, like adore the movie as much, but I'm going to stick with Franz for this one. You? Franz and then Tiana. And then Anjan. Yeah, I'll, I'll go Tiana and then Franz and then okay. Jeffrey. Solid, solid list, though. And I, I got to catch our father, the devil. I've been hearing good things about that one. Mm. That feels like the actual pick for this. Origin, way too big. American fiction, I'm sorry, they're way too big. Yeah. Uh, and then we got supporting over here. Oh, sorry. This is for uh, lead in a new series, I oh, think. Oh, okay. You and I were kind of split on our beef selections. I think that may be who I end up picking. Uh, ooh, Natasha. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Dude, this is actually pretty good. Natasha Leone in Poker Face. Rachel Wise, Vice, Vice, right? With a V? Vice, yeah. Uh, for Dead Ringers, playing a double. I preferred Steven Yoon over you performing, uh, preferring Ali Wong. Yeah. And I'm going to do the lock-in on Swarm. If I'm giving the series I was to beef, say. I'm going to give the performance to Dominique Fishback. Yeah, Dominique is probably my favorite of these performances This as is well. good, though. This, yeah, it's a good list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Swarm needs more love. Uh, then we move on to the supporting performances in movies. Claire Foy, Crying, and All the Strangers. I liked this one. Rachel McAdams and Are You There, God? But yeah. why? It's too big. It's yeah. too big. Well, I mean, like, look, they got um, Jamie Foxx from They Clone Tyrone in here. Like, I, I don't understand what they're choosing from. 
look, uh, you can tell me more about Julian Pinoch for the taste of things. I know that's a massive oh, fr France pick. Yeah. Um, Ferrari, bro, like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Uh, Look, Sandra Huller, it's still too big of a performance or big big of a movie, um, but I thought she was she was eerily excellent in Zone of Interest. Yeah. Our boy Glenn Howerton was really good. He's in my top three for this category, along with Charles Melton from May, December, and Divine Joy Randolph from The Holdovers. I, yeah, I, I can't wait to watch that this weekend. Where is he? I don't see May, December. Uh, probably towards the bottom. I thought uh, he was mentioned on here, too. He's in my press release of it, but I don't see it on the website for whatever Damn, reason. And they did him bogus. They needed yeah. to make sure that Ryan Gosling was mentioned in there. <laughs> How ridiculous. Um, okay. Uh, from I haven't seen Holdovers yet. I'm torn between Sandra Huller and Glenn Howerton, surprisingly. <laughs> I really liked them. The Vampires. The Vampires. Uh, going through them. Best documentary. Great selection. Uh, yes. Look. I think I know what you're picking, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sure. stick with Four Daughters, which I saw you just got the screening links for. Indeed, I haven't caught it yet, but maybe we'll talk about it soon. Not very um, locking in. I'm gonna go with Twenty Days in Mariupol. Oh, no. it's, it's it's just it's such just a stunning such a documentary, documentary. Um, and I, I'm still just in awe of it from having seen it at Sundance earlier this year. Yeah, no, Twenty Days I think is gonna be one that makes it all the way to the Oscars, uh, and Four Daughters as well. So definitely but I'll I'll give uh, a quick uh, shout out to ourselves. All five of these films are ones are documentaries that we have covered at some point on Intercut this year. That is true. Apollonia, Tribeca, Against the Tide, Sundance. Where we our body on? South by. Damn. <laughs> I'm gonna have to catch up on Intercut. Uh, best feature. Ooh yeah, Passages, best feature. Past lives. I was surprised with reality. Uh, showing up and uh, thousand and one. I am going to have to, you know, I, I love the thousand and one a lot out of these, but it's past lives for me. Yeah, it's hard to argue with past lives here. It is such a beautiful, amazing film. But I'm really glad to see passages getting some love here. Glad that a thousand and one didn't get overlooked, and of course, Incredible. I'm glad about uh, showing up being in the contenders as well. They're trying to make a Mindy right here. Oh, we couldn't find an image. Come on now. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Uh, best international feature, very interesting category. Yeah, I mean, um, I would definitely choose Poor Things, but I don't know what it's doing on this list. I have absolutely no idea. Is it even international? It's otherworldly, I yeah. guess, if you want to call it that. That would be my lock in there as well. Um, Zone of Interest right behind it. Uh, I've Same. got a link for Totem, so that's the only one we're missing. But again, another category where if you've been watching Intercut, the Intercuties are up to up to date with it. But yeah, absolutely. Poor Things for sure. I can see Zone being a juggernaut. Yeah, I mean, especially being a film that comes from such a well-established and well-liked uh, director, but uh, being in that international category, I, I could see Zone doing really well uh, throughout yeah. award season. Uh, let's see, best screenplay, I think, is what we started it off with. So that would be pretty much all of the categories that we have. Yeah. I'm curious to know people's thoughts down below. Uh, I can see Chase had a question in the chat. Yeah, Chase said that he's doing some 2023 catch-up, so he's curious what some of our favorite docs of the year are. We always uh, like to talk about our favorite docs out of the festivals, and you actually were mentioning a couple of them when we talked about Gotham's uh, 20 Days in Mariupol. For me, is certainly one of the best documentaries I saw this year. Right. Um, Beyond Utopia, which we also caught out of Sundance, is a I told you they were doing excellent... that as a Fathom event? Yeah, which, Come I mean... On. That, I mean, you know, I, I don't love Fathom, but at least it's getting into some theaters. It's a good movie. Yeah. Obviously, the subject matter was big. 
I did come out of that one going like, I don't know, I don't like how they kind of like edited, stylized. Them putting it as a Fathom event goes right in line with what I didn't like about the movie. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I definitely want to give another shout out though to a still small voice, one of the best documentaries that I Ooh, saw um, over in Sundance. Yeah, from, yeah, from our boy Luke Lorenzen. Uh, hopefully, you're going to get a chance to uh, speak to him for the podcast. So stay tuned for that one. Oh, that bro. one I believe is coming into theaters uh, next week. It's starting in limited, so keep your eyes peeled for a still small voice as well. well that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Any other things. documentaries that I didn't mention that? Uh, you want to give a quick shout out to? Yeah, let me see. Going through some of the ones that we just caught at, uh, you know, Four Daughters that I had mentioned. Uh, Pictures of Ghosts, I thought was a pretty interesting one. Um, going in through some of my TIFF picks as well. Uh, and Sundance picks. Um, from Sundance, I really liked the uh, documentary of uh, Nikki Giovanni going to Mars. I thought it was oh, good. Oh, right. That one is going to be in theaters, at least in New York, this weekend. So another one to oh, really? uh, nice. keep your eyes out for. Yeah, let me go through some of the other stuff that might have been on here. Uh, I've watched so many documentaries, bro. I've got a bunch. Uh, there was this one called, uh, I think, The Woods from Hot Docs. Like, I have Ooh. yet to even cover a lot of the other <laughs> hot dog documentaries that are out there. But... As I pull up some of my hot dog picks right here, we had uh, The Mountains was the name of that movie. I thought that was a fantastic uh, look on a guy who's going back and recording a lot of his like family stuff. Um, Angel Applicant is about this dude who has a condition. Uh, let me open him up here since I got this linked. Um, Angel Applicant was this documentary from Hot Dogs about this man who uh, ends up... Is this... Yeah, yeah, he, he follows uh, Paul Klee, who has the same condition that he does, and he realizes that if that guy used his condition um, and put it into his art, what is he doing then with this movie? Uh, the Lebanese Burger Mafia is a movie about uh, a bunch of Lebanese people who came over, and they started this place called Burger Baron Franchise. I don't know if you've ever been to one. We have a bunk version over here, but it's like this massive burger shop where all the Lebanese people shared the secret recipe and how that continued until it kind of broke down. Um, American Gladiators. It's so good. It was an ESPN 30 for 30 doc that Netflix immediately a week later made their own unofficial version. <laughs> this guy goes back and he finds the original people who started the American Gladiators where they put him on TV. They got him super hurt. It ended up becoming what we know now as the uh, American Ninja Warrior. That is like the soft version of it. This was on TV where they didn't care if people got hurt. And it's made by the boy who I really like from uh, Sundance. He made a oh, ben Bourbon. Jonathan documentary. Yeah. yeah. Always finds a way to put himself into the dock, but he's got the juice, man. This this is one to, to keep an eye out for. Uh, it's done nice. in two parts, and I believe should be on Disney Plus because it's uh, uh, it, it's uh, uh, thirty for thirty. Yeah, exactly. Uh, man, I got a lot. The only doctor about this doctor who decides to to she could be like a millionaire if she wanted to, but she's working in this local town because there's nobody for like thousands of miles. Hmm. Um, El equipo, I believe, is the one that just won. No, that's not the one. But shout out there because I have it pretty high. Um, we, Seven Winters in Tehran. We always really do. Good one. Sorry, I, I was just going to say, we always do our best documentaries of the year episode at some point. Yeah. Chase can always DM us for a longer list, but we, we're going to get into that in a much longer form at some point on this channel. So if you're, if you're looking for a long list of documentaries to uh, watch, we got you covered. Hey, you know what's a good one? <laughs> 
<laughs> Citizen Sleuth was a good one as well. Hey, I was just looking at that one. It still doesn't have a release date. I don't know what's going no on. No release date. This really All the streaming about... services are scared. Yeah, because this is like a guy really making, not making fun of, but really putting a light on uh, what it's like for all of these people who've made a living with uh, true crime documentaries. And I'm going to wrap it up, I promise, Zach, with yeah. Ark of Oblivion. Werner Herzog is producer. This is about a guy who like ran out of memory. So he's just like, what if I made an arc that contained like all of the information that we needed in the world? Dude, I freaking love this documentary. Yeah. This is like literally a guy wanted to make a movie about like, how can I put everything that I wanted into? I don't know. I would have to do like a montage of every person that I've talked to and then just does it. He literally does what I'm doing right now, trying to sneak in every single doc. This is right up my alley. Dude, this gets so interesting. It starts talking about that the best form of uh, memory keeping it's not our memories because it fades. It can't even be hard drives because they break. There's going to be a point where we store things through DNA. The concept of DNA being a memory bank? Put this one on your radar, bro. Let's wrap it up. Give and a shout out South to the other right? patrons. Yeah, this one was at South by. Yeah, all right. So plenty of documentaries to catch up on. Uh, but we need to shout out the wonderful intercuities who support this show shout out to all of you and many of you we see in the live stream thanks for tuning in and leaving us comments uh the academy level members are tushar cademan connor josh may ricky joe janicia tyler and benji and of course a big thank you to those producer level patrons yudin veer and tune a reminder that you too can become a patron of this podcast by heading over to patreon.com slash intercut pod where you get access to early looks at some of our episodes uh including our recent scorsese tober series sometimes you get access to our outlines and news of what we're uh going to record before we tell the general public you also get invitations to our monthly patron google meetings which we we got to schedule another one of those but uh you'll get a shout out or you'll get a notification about that pretty soon we'll figure that one out uh you can also head over to patreon.com slash intercut pod and just sign up to get uh updates from the show you no longer have to pay to become uh to, to follow the show, you do have to pay to get this shout out and access to the cool <laughs> benefits. But you but, can window shop. Hey, look, if you're looking just for some updates on what's coming from the show, uh, Interesting. You, can, you can head over to patreon.com slash intercutpod and sign up to follow awesome. us. My camera cut out again. My camera is being yeah. so annoying. I, at first, today. I thought it was Fincher. Uh, I thought you were getting cut out right when you were you were about to critique the killer. But um, yeah, well, he, well, he mentions that right after this, because uh, we do have the October patron thing that we're going to do. Today, I have a uh, virtual press conference for Priscilla. So if anyone's got questions for Priscilla, it's supposed to be Kaylee Spaney, and it's supposed to be um, Coppola's going to be there. So any questions, let me know, because all I'm going to ask is, what was it like filming Godfather 3? <laughs> but moving on to the next stuff that we have here is obviously our picks for the week all the good stuff that's going to be on the horizon we do have a couple of stuff that is coming out in theaters uh that i we thought was a sequel to uh what's the movie that you were saying the the crawdads (laughs) movie oh yeah uh where the crawdads i don't i don't even remember anymore wherever the the crawdads are at I, they might appear in this one, The Marsh King's Daughter. I feel it's going to be another thriller. Uh, it stars Ben Mendelsohn, who I always really like, and Daisy Ridley. That's going to be playing in theaters. I'm curious if people are hyped for that. Uh, and then there's Sly, the Sylvester Stallone doc that premiered at TIFF. It was like one of the closing ones. Uh, it's going to be coming out on Netflix, I think, like a couple weeks afterwards. But those would be the two big releases that are coming out. Um, but in terms of our picks for the week, here are some of the stuff that I've got on the horizon. Starting off um, with one that just came out this week. 
Zach, don't laugh. You're going to be surprised. Hot Potato, the story of the Wiggles. <laughs> it is out on Amazon Prime, and I did not expect this one to hit. If you know nothing about the Wiggles, I think this is a perfect documentary. If you know everything about the Wiggles, damn, does it hit. First off, I didn't realize how independent they were. These guys started off uh, obviously making... Uh, what I would call like their version of Australian blues clues to a degree. You know, they've got their talking animals and stuff. And, you know, it's like full grown adults making childlike, you know, uh, music. And just like in blues clues, they seem to have been scot free all the way towards the end, right? That's, it seems to be like one of the worst things that happens when it comes to a lot of these, um, kid performers, but the Wiggles were like really big in Australia and it covers how they came into America. There's like a jump scare sequence. I don't want to call it a jump scare sequence because it's news, but how a very big event that happened in America kind of uh, halted them, but then ended up becoming like the catalyst for them being a massive band in the States. Uh, we collected so much Wiggles stuff because of my sister. Uh, and then we c collected more because of us, because Hot Potato was a jam when it was out there. So if you are very curious on the Wiggles documentary, I highly recommend it. I, I was very surprised by it over on Amazon Prime. Hot Potato, Story of the Wiggles. I had said that this, this was my Talking Heads documentary. Uh, in limited release, as we were just mentioning, over with the Gotham Awards is Raven Jackson's debut, All Dirt Roads, Taste of Salt. We had the chance to catch this one over at the Sundance Film Festival. Zach and I stayed up late, uh, and we caught this one as a screening link, but this is one that needs to be seen on the big screen. It comes from A24, and know that it doesn't have like a regular narrative. So don't go in there going like, I, don't, I have no idea what's going on. This is like a poetic, lyrical movie. The best way that we described it, it's like you're looking through photographs and what happened if they were like live pictures and those photographs came to life? Like the textures and the feelings, those embraces of these people. It, like, it, it's a really beautiful film. So I want to give a shout out to that one. Uh, another Sundance one that I know got very mixed reviews, but I'm gonna give it a shout out because I thought it was a very interesting take on this motion, uh, black and white, stop motion, almost 8-bit, if we're being honest, a uh, movie called Divinity, where it's got uh, the homie from... Moises. I think he's Jason, yeah. It's got Moises, but it's also got the, the dude from... Uh, he's been in Logan, and he's been in... What's the Netflix show called, bro? Dang, I'm blinking on... On my block. Um, and they pretty much just play 8-bit characters here. Two brothers who need to go find, like, this serum. Um... Uh, that that's gonna give like e immortality. Uh, Moises Arias is also in there as well. We call him the Sundance Prince. He's moving on up there. Uh, I really like the perspective of the different uh, mediums going through it, and it's also produced by Steven Soderbergh. So it's got some yeah. big names behind it. Uh, and then my final two would be what I'm most anticipated, anticipating Invincible season two. We got our first half because I guess they're splitting season two. Um, that's gonna be really interesting. Uh, to see what they what they do with that, because uh, obviously every new season is going to be split, but it comes out November 3rd. Uh, I think they're still doing weekly. I'm not exactly sure, but Invincible Season 1, having read the comics, you know, they knocked it out of the park with that, and I'm excited to see how they continue it, because there's a lot of story. Um, but then, I have to shout out, the Netflix debut to Ralph Barbosa's Cowabunga. I don't know, Zach, if you're still there, if I can hear yeah. you, you're there. Have you heard any of this man's stand-up? I have not. He's our boy right now, man. Catch oh, up yeah? on him. Such a dry sense of humor. Uh, he, he's been making it so big in the underground that it got to a point where even uh, George Lopez kind of had some beef with him. He didn't want to he didn't want to give him the shout out, but in not giving him the shout out, he kind of gave him the shout out. So uh, his first big special is going to be out on Netflix called Cowabunga. I'm really excited for that. I know Zach right now is kind of he, he's coming in and out. 
Uh, I'm not sure if he's fully connecting. Uh, yeah, I'm struggling a little bit with uh, the StreamYard software right now, but I can try my best to get through some picks for the week. Yeah, we can get you with some audio. Go ahead. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, all right, so my first one is a uh, upcoming series from uh, Netflix called All the Light We Cannot See, which is a, a ambitious uh, adaptation of uh, a famous uh, World War II story. There's got uh, a bunch of interesting actors in it, from Mark Ruffalo to Hugh Laurie, oh. that has me curious about it. Um, maybe um, a little bit hesitant just because the director attached is Sean Levy. Not exactly my favorite oh. work director in Hollywood right now. This was at uh, TIFF. You're right, you're right. Yeah, but that's the thing. They they brought him to TIFF. Like this is potentially like a more serious piece of art that he's working on. I don't know. I'm I'll give it a shot because it's going to be on Netflix soon. Even though I'm uh, I've got some reasons to be excited and some that I'm maybe not excited about. Gotcha. Uh, Nyad, which is a movie that I'm excited to actually get into with you in the future uh, because we've talked about this before. It is the feature film debut of Elizabeth Chai Varsarheli and Jimmy Chin, the directing, directing duo who are behind Free Solo and The Rescue, a couple of uh, my favorite documentaries from the past couple of years, as well as some of the other films that you're uh, pointing out on Letterboxd. They're making the jump to narratives with this film about Diane Nyad, the famous long-distance swimmer. Uh, she's known for several different feats, including, I believe, being the first person to swim from Cuba to Florida without a shark oh. cage or something like that. She also might not be telling the truth if we're going to believe the L.A. Times, because this is the second biopic we're getting this year. That I has don't been, believe this thing. Oh, no, they got a paywall. Uh, it's the second biopic this year that's been subject to an L.A. Got Times em. editorial. <laughs> nice. Nice. Suckers. Uh, so, yeah, there's lots of stuff out there that sort of alleges she is uh, heavily altered her story and, and you know uh not really been it, truthful yeah. about a lot of the details yeah, it's getting the flame and hot treatment flame and hot yeah yeah that's um, the bread and butter right now the la times i guess i guess so uh so while there are some people who are predicting this is a film that will have a big uh oscars presence uh including uh jeff snyder who who says that it's going to beat out oppenheimer for whatever this is your source Boy, Look, I'm saying serious, some man. people. I'm, I thought I'm this not was saying I believe it. Oh my goodness! All right, so yes, <laughs> Ni I have heard, Nyad. Yeah, I've, I've heard been saying Nyad. I think it's Nyad. Honestly, if it's Nyad, you, it might it, you might be right. I'm not sure. It's uh, not going to be seen in theaters. It's going to be seen on Netflix. Exactly. It's in theaters now, but on Netflix Friday. I've heard Annette Bening and Jodie Foster in particular are really good in this. So maybe it'll still get a couple acting nominations despite okay. uh, her. Her embellishments. Interesting. Also, I, I think I think there've been some other people that are just not on the record for having swept from Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a screener to this one. Is it as funny as y'all said it is? You know, uh, I don't think it's going to be in competition for funniest movie of the year. You know, this has been twenty twenty three has been a solid year for comedies between Bottoms or. Uh, Barbie or stuff like Theater Camp. But I was pleasantly surprised with Quiz Lady, which has uh, Sandra Oh and Aquafina as two sisters who sort of go on a cross-country adventure so that one of them can compete 
on a sort of Jeopardy style game show in order to win enough money to save their whatever. Uh, it, the plot doesn't really matter. It's a use for it, it's an excuse to have some hijinks starring uh, Aquafina in kind of the more reserved, nervous person role, and Sandra O oh playing kind of the more Aquafina, outlandish, crazy character. Yeah, uh, yeah, which is sort of I think the most fun part about this. Like I, I think despite Aquafina having kind of like a tired presence in a lot of comedies, this allows her to she's play. There. She's allowed to play a pretty different register here that it ends up pretty funny. And Sandra okay. O oh is allowed to go all out in a way that I've never seen her go all out before. Nice. So there's just a lot of like silly bits and jokes that that made me laugh. You know, it's not exactly like an airtight story or the freshest uh, comedy you'll see. But as far as like Friday night entertainment on Hulu, you could do a lot worse than quiz lady. I, I enjoyed it. I have like a hundred nitpicks with it, but I still had a good time. Sounds good. Um, and then also in picks for the week, you know, I'm going to give a shout out to apples because it's still streaming on movie. I'm doing it because uh the director of the film, Christos Niku, has a new film coming to Apple TV Plus on Friday. That film is Fingernails, which I saw back at TIFF. And even though I enjoyed it, I, I did find it to be a bit disappointing. I think it hung out a little bit too long and kind of got repetitive. Uh, but it plays on a lot of similar ideas to Apple's, this sort of desire to have unknowable things sort of... Um, made clear to you by whether it's like a government agency or a doctor or something like that having the undefined become defined in a society somewhat like our own but maybe a little bit more dystopian it's got that dry sense of humor that has made him um, a subject of comparison to Yorgos Lanthimos I, I think both fingernails and apples are funny I just think that the story at the center of apples holds up a little bit more to scrutiny um, so I'll give that one a shout out and give a shout out to a service we like as well, Mubi. Mubi. Sounds good. Yeah. And then our last one, I think, is a recommendation from both of us because Priscilla hits theaters on Friday. The new film from Sofia Coppola and A24 telling the story of Priscilla, Elvis Presley's uh, wife, who he married or he began dating when she was only 14 <laughs> years old. Yeah. Uh, you know, we. I think we both... I found a lot to appreciate in how Sofia Coppola tells the story of like loneliness and isolation against the backdrop of like immense privilege. Mm -hmm. No, very good picks there. Uh, running it back. Uh, Zach, I, I know you were in and out with there, but you got to watch the Wiggles documentary, man. This is a documentary that is I'm curious about it. On Amazon Prime and it was very, very good. Uh, very surprised by it. Definitely check it out. I was saying that it's it's my talking heads, Zach. Uh, Old Dirt <laughs> Roads, Taste of Salt. Uh, it's limited release out in theaters and uh, knowing that it's got that very poetic visual style, it, it's worth watching up on the big screen. I'd be surprised if there was like a, a, a film uh, showing of this. <laughs> definitely get mm. tickets for that. Um, moving on to Divinity, a very interesting movie. Some people are going to like it. Some people are going to hate it. But I, I like the mix of mediums that they had there as two brothers. Trying the to cast list alone might get you excited for Divinity. If y'all Look, I ain't going to say who's on this cast list, but y'all can read some of the people on this cast list. <laughs> <laughs> Divinity. Uh, Invincible Season 2 getting split up into parts. Um, yeah. More splitting that they did in Season 1 for a bunch of these characters. But it delivered as a comic adaptation. This is the yeah, type I, of animation I like to see. Have you caught any of the episodes they gave us yet? None, dude. Uh, I have to. I have to catch up on that. A lot of catching yeah. up. Um, Just very briefly. 
very briefly, I'll say I caught all four, and it it's more of the goods. It is not lost, missed a beat. Fantastic, perfect. Double up that recommendation. Uh, it, do you know if it's gonna be weekly? I think it is weekly. Okay. I'll double check that. All right, Invincible season two, and then ramping up with uh, Ralph Barbosa's Cowabunga. This dude has a bunch of clips out. Uh, on YouTube, watch them. If you find that funny, tune in just like I am. I think this drops tomorrow or tonight. Uh, yeah, this is like a, it would have been like my full recommendation. I would have told you what the funniest jokes were uh, to look out for, but uh, it's like literally a Halloween special that's going to be coming out. He's funny. Nice. Dude. His his delivery is really good. And you got Very cool. Uh, I'm recommending the series All the Light We Cannot See on Netflix with a sprawling scope and interesting cast. I'm going to recommend Nyad as well on Netflix, even though it's surrounded in some controversy. It's apparently got some great acting from Annette Benning and Jodie Foster. Recommending Quiz Lady, a fun time with Aquafina and Sandra Oh, as well as Will Ferrell, Jason Schwartzman, Tony oh. Hale, a bunch of funny people involved in this pretty funny film. Apples the existential uh, deep comedy from dry Greek filmmaker Christos Niku, which you can stream on Mubi. And lastly, Priscilla, the uh, really immaculately filmed drama, the latest from Sofia Coppola. Very good. Uh, I saw some pics that we got from the Intercuties as well on the live chat. Some people uh, talking about fellow travelers. I'm not sure if that's a series. I'll definitely look into that, add that one on to my list. Uh, some people also mentioning uh, Breaking Ice. This was uh, at yeah. Toronto. Um, I know you saw the, the, the dude's uh, Sundance movie with uh, Cynthia Revo. I'm blinking on that one. Uh, what that one was Oh, called. yeah. I, for Drift, maybe? Adrift, yeah. She had a really good performance in there. I remember catching that one super late. Uh, mm -hmm. Very good character study. Alina did catch Breaking Ice. Uh, still got the link for that one, so hopefully if that's still good. Cool. Um, I'm curious because she said that this one was even better than Adrift and I think is actually an, uh, an Oscar submission. I forget the country, but it's actually oh, an Oscar submission as well. Interesting. Um, and then one of the last picks I saw right here from the chat, uh, Pluto. I did see a trailer for this, dude, and it looked pretty interesting. But there's just so much anime stuff that comes out. I usually don't dive in. We're getting the thumbs up. Uh, Mangsu says it's good. I might check that one out. Nice. Other than that, though, you can follow more from me over at LME Movies on Twitter, on Instagram, all the social medias, or over at Let Me Explain, where we've been pumping out some videos uh, explaining all of the good stuff that is out there, or not good stuff like Five Nights at Freddy's. Zach, where can people find more from you? You can find me across social media at Zshevich, as well as videos that I've done at Multiplex Show on YouTube or TikTok, including I did a, a pretty long look into Bottoms and why I think you it's did. maybe the most important movie of 2023. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Other than that, you can follow more from me and AI Zach that I have right here. <laughs> a reminder <laughs> that you can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, on Anchor, on Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. And you can catch the live video right here on YouTube.com where we go through all the weekend must-watch picks, news, all that good stuff every Monday. Big shout-out to all the intercuties who listen live, all the patrons, and the iTunes listeners who leave us that five-star review. Your little I'm holding up five thing. fingers. But he's doing just, the five yeah. stars to the camera. Please, Don't please. Don't forget to leave a comment, drop a like, follow the socials on Intercut pod and until next time keep watching movies or else freddy's gonna take you away like they did zach <laughs> chica no the fact you know her <laughs> <laughs>